Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 52nd episode. As a mental performance coach, I get the honor to work with athletes to enhance their mental game and unlock their full potential. The reason why I created 90% Mental is to bring awareness around mental performance within sport by interviewing athletes and coaches so they can share their stories and perspectives. So today I have RJ White, a semi-pro basketball owner who owns three teams, the Chicago Vipers, the Connecticut Copperheads, and the Nassua Salamanders. What you're going to hear in this interview is a really focused entrepreneur that has the right mindset, not only in leading her organization in the right direction, but doing the right things to develop her players. What I love about RJ is that she gets business, people, sports, and why it's important to focus on the mental game. So I can't wait for you to listen to this episode and experience the mindset of a semi-pro basketball owner. So let's go talk to RJ. Hey, RJ, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm I'm really excited to have you on my show and learn a little bit about just what it's like to be an owner of a semi-pro team. And, and so basically, we're going to talk about your mindset as an owner and also kind of understand what it takes to be a semi-pro basketball player and and how they advance to the next to the next level. So I'm very interested in having you on my show. Well, thank you. I definitely appreciate you have for having me. You bet. So I always kick off my show with this question. And being an owner of a semi-pro basketball team, what does mentally tough mean to you? Mentally tough to me means being fearless and ignoring your subconscious. <laughs> right. And I know I've said this before, I've said this before and people are like, what? How do you ignore your subconscious? Um, a lot of times we listen to like that other voice and obviously that other voice is there to protect us because we don't want to fail, right? If it, we fell at something, it makes us feel a certain type of way. So the mind and the body will come in and it'll say, you know what? Like I need to protect you, right? So if I'm trying to protect you automatically when you do something that's fearful, I'm going to protect your feelings and, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, this isn't good for you. You know, this isn't right for you. Like you shouldn't do it because you don't want to get hurt from this. I say, if you ignore that voice and ignore that subconscious, I guess, behavior, you'll be mentally tough. Awesome. So you're an owner of three semi-pro teams. What got you into supporting semi-pro basketball, what was the main driver and motivation? The overall goal was to be an owner of a NBA G League team. And in order for me to do that, I said, okay, I have to show and prove. I mean, who's to say who's watching, but I still have to show and prove to myself if this is something that I want to do, that I can successfully run an organization of a high caliber because, as they say for your wonderful resume, right, experience is key. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I would say I'm doing a great job at it. Hopefully the county agrees, too, as well as our players and our audience and fan base. Analytics say we're doing okay. We're like $193 million. So that's the overall goal, G Week. Wow. Now, is, is basketball, has that been uh, in your life, most, most of your life? I am six feet and a half, <laughs> six four with heels. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, 
I modeling, I went through, I think I've went through every phase of life from the girly girl phase to the tomboy phase to the basketball phase to the track phase. So yeah, I've been uh, keeping up with basketball for quite some time. And surprisingly, um, I picked track. I really should have picked basketball as my, um, my first selection. Cause I think about that every day. Like, yeah, you probably should have just played if you know this much about the sport. So <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> so walk me through what's it, what's the day in the life of a, an owner of a semi-pro team? You know, I always say it never ends. <laughs> you have long days, obviously, um, a lot of calls. In fact, I have two cell phones. I literally, I, I very, I sleep, um, uh, obviously cause I'm healthy and I live a healthy a lifestyle, but I'm usually up at, you know, later at night if I'm doing any business or negotiating with any other international um, parties, then, you know, I'm on their time zone. So, you know, that's 2, 3 a.m. for us on Central Standard Time and other countries at 2 p.m. if they want a 1 p.m. appointment. I'm getting up in the morning. I'm checking emails and sending out emails. We're in the process of doing a whole, like, reintegration of our website. So we're putting in stats and, you know, player roles, bios, and we're working on our new schedule for the upcoming season in November. And we have a heavy presence in the community. So we do a lot of community events. In fact, our players are required to have over a thousand hours of uh, community service within a year um, of their contract. They're also required to work part-time. So we're making sure that they're employed, you know, going to employment camps. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're, we're making sure that they stay actively involved in the community. I'm listening, looking at marketing previews and, we're doing a whole ticket sales system and ticket sales integration, which we thank Eventbrite for at this point for, you know, giving us, you know, the extra options for ticket sales. And so, yeah, my day in life basically consists of just growing and making the organization, you know, more engaging and bigger and making sure that our players get the exposure to get out of here. What do you think the hardest part of your job is? The hardest part of my job is being the backbone for every member within your staff. Now, they don't ask me to do this, but this is probably the motherly instinct in me (laughs) where I'm like consistently concerned about all of my employees. I mean, work, work life. Yeah. You know, you come to, to work for the Vipers and you know, automatically that you're getting a family environment. And when you're dealing with family, they care about what goes on in your work life and in your personal life, if it's detrimental to yourself or um, the credibility or the face of the business. So I'm consistently checking on players and making sure that they're making the right decisions, that their mind is right, that, you know, they're staying in great shape, um, the best shape, making sure that they're making uh, the right decisions to, to be boring. As I always tell them, sometimes you don't need to do everything, be everywhere. It's okay to sit at home and be bored and watch TV <laughs> or whenever you're bored, go put up some shots or hit the track. As far as my executives, I mean, we have frequent conversations and calls. In fact, I check on them on a regular basis to make sure that they're okay. So I would say highly involved with with all of my staff, which I have almost close to 210 employees at this point. Wow. That's a lot. That uh, I would assume that keeps you up at night sometimes. (laughs) A lot of times, no. (laughs) (laughs) in, In a good way, I'd say for me... The goal is the bar is set so high for myself that I'm usually um, up at night looking at ways to to improve myself so that way I can be a better asset to to everybody else. 
Right. I would say both. I have a passion for the sport because, like I said in the beginning, um, the regret for, I guess, not playing. And the sense of entrepreneurship, that actually came to me at, like, a young age. Like, I was at 12 years old with my own paper route. And my mom's, like, <laughs> getting up, getting ready for work. And I'm, like, on the weekend, like, getting up with her while she's getting ready for work. I'm getting ready to go, like, throw off some papers so I can make some, <laughs> some money. So, the entrepreneurial phase has been there for some time. In fact, I started my first business at 17. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's both. Yeah, I saw that. I was reading some stuff on you on, um, I believe you had a nonprofit and you had a chance. I think the success of running that uh, put you in a position to go to the White House a few times. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually help out with um, some stuff for the Women's Economic Committee, um, just giving my voice and opinion. Um, millennials, um, the millennial voice and opinion. I've actually had the pleasure of, of going to the White House. I've had a nonprofit. I've been able to successfully raise over a million dollars for the nonprofit. I, the goal was to build a community center um, within the city. Uh, it didn't go as planned, of course. I didn't get the city building, but it opened up my mind to understand like the level of sponsorships and how to go about obtaining sponsors and the proper verbiage and letters and legality that comes behind that and I applied that to sports and it's like okay so now you're filling seats you know you're filling out arenas you're getting uh if I get the arena I know how to bring people into the arena as, as partners and and um you know maximize off of you know box seats and promotions and things of that nature so I guess they say everything happens for a reason like everything that I learned in the past, I can apply to now. <laughs> right. Well, it just seems like that you're a type of person that's just in service. As much as that you have goals and there's things that you want to do within your career, but it's just it's coming from the spirit of being in service. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've always been that way. In fact, if you talk to my mom, she'll always tell you, like, I always was the person that had, like, all of the neighborhood kids, like, at our house, like, lined up, like, feeding all the kids and doing hair. And if kids were in need of certain things, clothes, whatever, I was the person you know, helping out with school supplies. And I was like a, a high schooler, like ninth grade <laughs> at that time frame. But, you know, I guess when they say duty calls, you really don't have a, a choice. Well, as far as, you know, again, your role, how involved do you get with the players? Do you, are you working with them, talking to them? How emotionally involved do you get with the players? Um, they probably would say I'm extremely involved <laughs> I don't even know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm consistently on our players, especially the ones that I, I, I see uh, that potential talent and I see where they can go. I'm consistently checking on them. I'm consistently making sure they're making the right decisions, frequently bringing them into workouts, private sessions, meeting them and linking them up with different people that I feel that could be very conducive to their mental mindset. Man, it's, it's really like, un, it's unmeasurable. Like, yeah, I'm always involved. Um, I've had people tell me, like, you know, you're the CEO. You know, you could take a break. You can, like, you can sit back. I'm like, no, I'm going to come to a practice or two. I'm at practically almost all practices. I'm at the games. I'm watching. I'm paying attention. I'm just looking for, for different things and always looking for ways to improve. So. How do you assemble a team? Like, what's what's the process? I mean, obviously, in the NBA, you you have a draft. But how do you – is there tryouts? How do you – you know, what's the process? The best thing about the basketball community is everybody knows everybody. <laughs> so
So if you're in need of a center, you know, you always get the one guy or the two guys are like, hey, you know, I know we're in need of a center. You know, my friend, you know, he's in shape, he's in good shape, he went here, he went there. He's looking for like a team to play on. So, you know, we have referrals, but mainly it's tryouts. In fact, I just was talking to my general manager about like my inbox lately because I've had like 132 requests for different guys that are looking to try out for the team this season. So, you know, apparently we're making our mark, but at the same sense, um, it's a good feeling to know that, you know, that our system is understood and that they understand that it works if they have the means to want to go somewhere. And what's the structure like within semi-pro basketball as far as like how many teams are in a league? Are they only in the U.S. or are there international teams that are part of your league? How does that work? There are 147 teams um, from the last uh, that I've seen. We're 147 teams in total in the league. Um, We have some international alliances uh, within the league for the Vipers and for the Jazz and the Salamanders. I always say that we're in a league, but we're in a league of our own. I know a lot of times when people hear the word semi, we – we really feel like half <laughs> to me, semi means half, right? right, right, and, right. Um, I, really, I really don't want to be half of anything, if that makes sense. So, totally, totally. Uh, for, for, for our team, we just, we, we're everywhere. I mean, we've been to classics in Jamaica. We're going to the UK, um, hopefully headed out to Japan, hopefully headed out to Canada. So, yeah. We have, um, as for the Vipers, we're speaking for the Vipers, the Jazz, and the Salamanders. We have a, a strong uh, foundation internationally. In fact, we know some of the some of the best of the best coaches to help players get overseas. Well, I can only imagine, you know, having owning a team and making sure, you know, financially backing every part of an organization, whether if it's you know having the equipment and uniforms and meals and flying them. Where does this money come from? How, how do you fund an organization like this? You know, we are, we're, we're funded, self-funded, um, but we also do and have a lot of sponsors, um, whether that be in-kind or whether that be just like their actual sponsorship. For the, for the semi-pro way, there's a lot of times that we'll have players receive sponsorships themselves. We'll say, okay, you're a leader in your community. You have businesses that are within your community where they're looking for ways to spend, you know, those marketing dollars. Like you should be going to them and saying, hey, you know, I want to do a meet and greet here. You know, I want to find a way to increase the presence of your business within the community because I'm a community leader or star. And a lot of times businesses will jump right in and say, hey, you know, I don't mind sponsoring him for a flight or I don't mind sponsoring him to, you know, uh, go into a tour because in return, he's going to go back and do a kid's camp or blast out their business on social media or what have you. And they're intrigued by that because they need that different audience that they bring. And then you have to manage all of those activities. Got it. Got it. Man, you got a big role. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Times three. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, we'll we'll switch it a little bit over to the the athlete itself. You know, when you think of a semi-pro basketball player, what does that look like? Like, what what's the makeup? Is it typically a player that had never had a chance to to go to college? A player, a player that's been spent a lot of years in the G leagues and NBA. What's the age demographic? Tell me a little bit more about the athlete itself. 
Well, I'm going to probably spend a little bit more time here, so please forgive me. So the makeup of an athlete for semi-pro, it varies, okay? Like, the unfortunate thing is I've seen kids uh, that wanted to just just jump off into being a pro athlete. They might have had that skill level, and they said, you know what? I don't want to go to college. I want to go straight to pro. And they'll go to a semi-pro team, and they'll say, hey, you know, I want to go pro, and the only way for me to do that is to start here. And the unfortunate thing is you'll actually have teams that'll say, okay, sure, come on. And their eligibility is stricken. It's gone. Mm. Um, That's a gut kicker. That's a gut kicker for me because I have children, you know, and I would never want my kids to just like make a haste decision like that. And somebody let them go ahead and and, um, push forward with that where uh, they're not able to take advantage of that skill and education and scholarships. So that's the beast of, of the industry, I guess, that I have seen. But the the good part about the industry is that you'll have guys that are former D1, D2, D3, NAIA, or JUCO, and they'll say, okay, you know, I went to a D1 college. You know, they probably maybe went for a red shirt or they went for a couple years and made up, you know, messed up. You know, who knows what the mess up is? I mean, it's, it comes from all different angles. We've had guys that made poor decisions in school and got bad grades and got kicked out. We've had guys that were um, on red shirt and just couldn't, we had guys that disagreed with coaches we had guys that weren't getting enough player time and they felt like the organization wasn't treating them well so they walk away and to the fact that they still have that talent we say okay what was it that caused you to fail in the past in which you weren't able to go off and go overseas or to build yourself as a as a pro athlete because it takes a lot to be a pro I mean some of the the athletes that I've met and come across and seen it's almost amazing with their characteristic and their work ethic that uh, you have to build that almost at this point with uh, semi-pro athletes. Age range, I say, would be 18 to 27. I've seen some guys as, um, as older as I think it's about 29. Got it. Now, do these athletes have resources around them as far as strength and conditioning coaches, mental performance coaches, dietitians? You know, uh, some of the guys that went to like the higher D1 colleges, they understood the importance of of having that team. Other guys, they had no clue. Uh, We'll have guys, (laughs) we actually had a guy that walked into a game and he was eating like chili cheese fries, like before the game. (laughs) And we were just looking like, no way, like this isn't happening. And like, they just, you know, put the chili cheese fries down. They went to go wash their hands, they put on their jerseys. And we were just sitting there, like me and coach and some of the other staff, we were just sitting there staring, and they were like, what? We were like, dude, like, that's not okay. It's <laughs> like, not okay at all. And, and they, you know, it's just them not knowing. You know, a lot of times people will see an athlete, they'll see how they play, and they'll say, okay, based off of how they play, I could play like that too. I'm a pro athlete. They don't understand, like, the hustle and bustle that it takes to be a pro athlete which is why our guys are like, man, like you guys are like the hardest, you know, organization. You guys want so much from us. Like, and I hear this often because they have to go through media training. There's no reason that you're in front of a camera and you're, you know, you're umming and, uh, and you're freezing and you're deer in headlights as soon as the camera come on or you're staring at the camera as soon as the camera faces your way. You know, it takes training for all of that. Maintaining the body. They're like, oh, we got to do aqua therapy every Saturday at 7 a.m. Why? And after they do it, they're like, oh, man, you know, I feel so much better. I feel so much looser. You know, some athletes have never interacted with kids because they don't have kids. So now you're 
reading to the first grade union and they're all ganging up on you, just looking at you awkwardly. And they're like, well, what do I do now? You read to them, you know? Right. So uh, it's just, it's just stuff like that, you know, that our organization is teaching, you know, um, some of the athletes so that when they get overseas, they don't have any room to be uncomfortable. They don't have any room to be sent home. You know, we're giving them pretty much everything that they need to be a pro athlete overseas because, I guess the first thing that I can say that I learned was, you know, <laughs> what is it? Offense sells tickets and defense wins championships. So we know you can play defense, but how are you <laughs> offensively and who are you getting in our seats? You know, so that's probably the biggest thing that we, uh, we harp on is, you know, that offensive strategy of being a pro athlete outside of the court. Well, what I love about the approach is it's, it's just not a place to, to play basketball. You're literally providing them an opportunity to develop skills, whether if it is, you know, working with the media or speaking with the media, working with kids and being active in the community. It's just, I, I didn't realize it was that intricate and that that was more the approach, which is, it makes sense because if you're trying to develop an athlete to, to get to the professional level, and I know this is professional, but they're going to be doing those type of things. So this is a, to me, I didn't realize that you put this much uh, time and effort into doing these things, providing the skills. So it's awesome. I think it's great. Well, thank you. Yeah, we we work on personalities. We're working on getting the team psychologist very soon because the unfortunate thing is we have a lot of guys that come from all different cities. And, and surprisingly, like we have guys that are on our team that have lost close friends and family because of, you know, certain acts, you know, actions of violence. And, you know, you just can't bounce back from stuff like that. You know, if you've been playing with this person since you were a little kid and then, you know, they watch you come up in your career and then all of a sudden they're gone, um, regardless of how strong you are uh, or mentally strong that you are, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your game. It's going to affect you in some way, shape or form. So we just always try to pick their mind and see where they are mentally to, to strengthen them. And then, you know, a coach or head coach, you know, he always goes from the man approach, you know, as a man, some of the things that they need to do to be stronger men, because you got to think these guys are between 18 and 27. I mean, between 18 and 27, yeah, I had businesses, but if I didn't have that level of entrepreneurship, who knows, you know, the mindset of an 18 to 27 year old, you're not thinking these things. So we do take that extra effort to build them as people and as players. That's great. So what, what is the next level for these players and, and how often do these players get to that next level? You know, it's actually very frequently. I mean, you have to, it's almost like a, it's a circle, you know, like uh, overseas, they're always looking for players. I mean, they're always looking for people to participate in tours. They're always looking for people to participate in their championship games or um, different exposure camps. So the cycle is forever moving. For us, the opportunity is endless because it's there. I mean, it's, it's, it's the supply and demand, right? Like want versus need. Like these overseas teams, they need players. And we want to build players. So we actually just, you know, we we reach out to um, a lot of international connections to say, okay, if not now, when you do need somebody, what would you be looking for? So when that 6'4 guy walks in our gym, we like, hey, he sounds like the guy that they're going to need six, you know, six months from now. Let's cultivate him now so he's able to, you know, have this opportunity. And then at that point, the choice is his, you know. If he wants to go hard at it and he wants to get into the best shape that he's ever been in his life, or if he wants to be dedicated to the game or the sport or his game, getting comfortable in his own game while being coachable, then, the you know, obviously it's his oyster. Right. 
do athletes from from your organization or your league do they ever get into the European Basketball League? Is it, would that be another step, another level of success for them? We have had um, we've had two guys go over into the European League, but it started out that way from their history. They started out in a D1 college or played in a G League or on a G League team. And then after playing for G League, they had the opportunity to go European or get a Bosnian A, you know, contract. But I guess that also came from to the fact that they went to some probably the top D1 college, (laughs) you know, in the nation. So it it played a part in, you know, their work ethic, probably most likely as, as a youngling opposed to coming to our organization. So we wouldn't be able to take 100% credit for that as far as beating them into shape, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> right. uh, getting them back onto their game, getting them back into the game mentally, we could take credit for that. We could say, okay, you know, getting you to where you want to be dedicated, then, yeah, that part we will we'll take credit for that. And I'm sure they'll tell you that we took credit for that because they probably hated going around the track like three times in a day. Well, as far as the the mental game or mental performance, typically mentally, what does it take to be a semi-pro basketball player? Their mental, their mental perspective has to be like, okay, I've done this whole time and it's gotten me nowhere, right? right. So I need to be opened enough to say, I'm listening to what you have to offer me. And obviously, you know, when you go to high school, right, when you get an English class, <laughs> they say credibility, right? You know how you have to like create this whole reference sheet when you create, right. uh, uh, you know, like your sources list. So I tell that a lot to our athletes. I say, okay, sources, check the credibility. I mean, obviously you could check the credibility of our organization. Um, You'll know that, okay, you can. So that part mentally is out of the way as far as if this organization is actually going to be able to you. So now that that's gone, it's on you, right? Because we have a track record of helping people. Now, do you have a track record of listening, of being in shape, eating right, sleeping right? You know, Um, those are the things that, that to us, that we need to reset from them mentally. Um, Because to me, I always say, and I will forever say, basketball is 90% mental and 10% physical. You could look at a basketball player until he's in shape, right? Right, right. Now, what's going on in in the head of theirs, (laughs) that's something completely different. It's a different game. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, what do you think the hardest part for a semi-pro player? Like, what's the hardest part being a semi-pro player? I would probably say the hardest part is staying consistent. They don't have the luxury like the NBA has where you got the private jet, you know, you've got the concierge service to pick you up. You know, they have to work harder for theirs. So now they're working a job. They're still dealing with family, family life, family issues. Then they're dealing with, you know, practice and, and being a pro athlete and staying focused and still being a good friend or being a good brother or sister, you know? So it's like for them, it's they have to cut out the things that doesn't help them be successful. I have a lot of guys that I'll come across with. They're some of the best players that you'll ever see. And then you look at your watch during practice time, (laughs) (laughs) they're coming in 
five, seven, ten, ten minutes late. And, you know, they're apologizing for it because they're not bad people, but it's just the, the ethic, you know, like that work ethic is a, is the biggest issue, you know, being coachable, you know, a lot of times I always say to a lot of our players, like, okay, you the man on the court, but when I tell you to go left, it's your weak spot, you know? And then they're like, oh, no, I can go left. Okay, go ahead. Go do a left-hand layup. And then they blow it. They're like, oh, that's just, you know, uh, I just need, I'm a little rusty. Well, this is what you're here for, right? right. <laughs> you shouldn't be rusty because we should be helping you to get a lot of that rest off so that way you're a shiny star over here. So I think if they could just understand that um, they're also not in the shadow of the cities that they come from because, you know, you always have, like, those top ten players from a city whose shadow that they're living in, like, okay, you know, I, I look up to this player and that's okay, but you still got to understand your own game. You know, you still got to uh, work on your own craft and you still have to create your own name for your family. And you have to put that work ethic into it. Like a person shouldn't be able to talk you out of going to practice. A person shouldn't be able to talk you out of, you know, being great because that same person is probably talking you out of it it's probably the same person that's going to get your position because now that you're out of the way, <laughs> right. they're able to, you know, come forth and say, Oh, thanks. I appreciate the contact. You know? So. I, well, I love it because you're, you're having these athletes focus on the right things and focusing on the things they can control. And when you look at uh, an athlete like Andre Ingram, who was in the G league for the Lakers for 10 years, like, that guy never stopped believing, and, and I'm doing a project where I was doing some research on Andre. He basically said, I never stopped working, I never stopped believing, and I never stopped dreaming. And I'll tell you what, if you're spending 10 years in a G League, I can only imagine how many times you've wanted to give up, how many times you're hearing the, the negative self-talk comes alive, mm-hmm. and how does someone go through years and years and years of dealing with that and also chasing their dreams. So I can only imagine these players have to go through the same, you know, mental dialogue that, you know, of struggling and being a semi-pro and wanting to hit their dreams. And it's been five years they've been in the league. I, I can only imagine how tough it is. But it seems like as an organization, you're really helping these players to deal with those situations so they can keep focused on the right things. And I mean, to go back to um, Andre Ingram, so he was born like 1985. Um, we're actually about the same age range. So I'm sure the biggest thing that he heard is the age realm. Like, oh, you know, you're too old to make it now. Like, you know, right. you probably won't be able to, you know, to, to go too far now. Like you're over 30. And, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm sure he probably heard the most, which was the age thing. Um, you know, they say when you're young and you're in your early 20s, like the world is your oyster when it comes to basketball. But you have to think about the mental mindset of 10 years and 384 games later for Mr. Ingram. Like, wow. And that's with the minors and overseas. So I, I, had to, I really had to dissect that one day, like when I, I kind of read up on his story, too. It was like 10 years. And now, mind you, in the beginning of the conversation, I said, you hear way more no's than you hear yeses. So I'm sure he heard plenty of negativity of, oh, man, you should just give up. You know, you should just let go, you know, just give it away and, you know, just put the ball down. You know, maybe you should be a coach, you know, just like I was saying earlier, also in the conversation that if you ignore that and you just keep going. I mean, they told me as a woman that I wouldn't be able to successfully run a men's team. 
they were like, oh, you know, those men are going to listen to you. When I walk in the gym, you would think that an army sergeant walked into the gym because they're like <laughs> straightforward. They're right. like, and I had somebody tell me, they're like, they're way more like fearful of you for some reason. I'm like, I don't even try to set a line of fear. I don't want a person to be scared of me. Like, what's the point of that? Um, because then they won't be honest with you and they won't be open with you. So I create a friendly environment with a borderline, you know, um, and the, the line of level of respect. Uh, but for the most part, they understand that if, if something happens, they have a question or concern, they can come to me, you know, in most situations, most people bypass the president, you know, and they, or the CEO, and they'll say, you know, I'm going to HR, or the general manager, <laughs> um, they, they literally, they'll go to all of us. So I think it's that level of comfortability, but yeah, Mr. Ingram's story is very amazing. Yeah. Uh, 10 years, 384 games later. So. That's, it's great. <laughs> I think also too, what you were talking about is, you know, how you work with these athletes, you, you don't want them, you don't want to create a, a, a fearful mind. You want to create a fearless mind. And, and I think there's, you know, when you think of, you know, Andre's story and a, and a lot of the players that, that are in your league or on your team, you know, they have to weather the storm so much. And, and this is something that I work with, with athletes as far as keeping them focused on the right things, even when shit's going the wrong way for them is, What's important now in this moment, if you can breathe into the moment and you can control the moment by your breath and figure out what's important now, you're winning. I don't, I don't care what the score is. I don't care how long you've been in the league. But if you can get into that, into that mindset of figuring out what's important now, you're winning. And more you, the more you can do that, the more that you can actually you know, put yourself into the best position to stay on track and go in the right direction. So, so I can only imagine the things that Andre has dealt with and, and the players that deal with on, on your team and within your league. Oh, no, I, I actually agree with you hundred percent because for us, the biggest thing that we have is mental. Like our games are so fast paced. In fact, you got six seconds to bring the ball up the court. Another great rule for the ABA is if you steal the ball back court, um, each point counts for an extra point. So a two is a three and a three is a four. So our games can get to the high 100s. In fact, I think I've seen at one point in the news that it was like a 200-point game before. So this time frame that you're playing, even though it's only four 12-minute quarters, everything is mental. You have guys that are, you know, you know, steadily trying to get in, into your head. You know, they're obviously defensively, you got some of the best defensive players because everybody that's, that's playing against each other, they want it, right? They all right. want to get out of here. Yep. So they're going to play to the 100, you know, 150%. <laughs> so that way they can, you know, get that on film and they can get those sets and they can go. You know, that means that they're going to go against the best of a person. And I always tell our players, like, just don't check out mentally. Win or lose, just don't check out mentally because you don't lose until you get your mind out of it. My dad uh, is former military and my grandfather is former military. And the one thing that he preached to us um, my mom is Southern. She's originally from Louisiana. Uh, so I grew up in like a household where mental uh, dominance was just, it was a big thing, like to, to not be rattled, to not be shaken, to not be fearful, you know? Um, and I preach that a lot to them. Like, you know, you don't know what the military goes through, you know, <laughs> when it comes to the mental mindset to train, to go to war. Exactly. And if they only had a crew, they would understand what it takes to win on the court. Because we had a military sergeant come in uh, off duty and we told him, we said, hey, train him for an hour. They were looking at us like, why would we do this? Like, what do we do to deserve <laughs> And, you know, some of the workouts that he put him through, you know, they were all mental. 
you know, as you know, to quote Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? He said, like, you know, it's not that those those first reps that you get, it's those last three or four reps that after you check out, you know, those are the ones that actually matter because it's the mindset to get through them, you know? So I think that's what they have to understand. You know, it's a mental mindset for uh, where they're trying to go. Big time. Show up and stay connected. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of teams, a lot of professional teams that are adopting the the Navy SEAL training, you know, physically and mentally. So I mean, it, it, it makes sense to bring in a drill sergeant because, the mental game is, I don't care how good you are, you could be mentally great too, but there's just that moment when there's three seconds left. I don't care if you're the best three-throw shooter or three-point shooter, I don't care, but whatever is going on in your mind, whatever the environment is, there's so many factors that can just throw you off a little bit. So the mental game is something that, it's called mental skills training for a reason. You have to do it and do it and do it. So when it when there is three seconds on the clock, you're prepared. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter if, what scouts are there or how big the environment is. You're just dialed in. So, you know, like you said earlier, I mean, the mental game is, is huge, and it's why I do it. It's why I coach it because I don't care how talented you are. I really don't. I want to know how, how mentally, emotionally controlled you are. I mean, that's, to me, that's that makes more of a player. Now, get it. I mean, having a... Yeah, having talent is sure it's good. You have to have talent, but man, you you can't ignore the mental game. You just can't. Absolutely, I I think I just I brought that conversation up not too long ago to some of our players, and I said, "What do you think the mental mindset is of like Patrick Beverly and Lance Stevenson?" And they were like, "Oh, well, they are in the league, you know, so they want to keep their ratings up." I'm like, "Do you understand the mental mindset that you have to have to play that level of defense? That's like a complete dominant and fearless." mentality like you're not concerned uh, and you are not fearful of anybody I mean you have to think about some of the things that Lance Stevenson did on the court to LeBron James and at this point this is where LeBron James is in like his prime and everybody's you know even though I'm a LeBron fan so I just want to put that out there um <laughs> you know people weren't trying, people weren't trying to you know step on his toes at the time frame because of how much you know clout and how his name was building in the industry and you have Lance Stevenson over here blowing kisses at him to get in his head and overall he ended up being you know, the most dominant factor, right? right? So I always tell our players, like, you know, defense is your measurement of mental mentality and heart. Because how you play defense, to me, is how you measure pressure in life. Because you're going in front of different people on defense. You're, you're going to different countries. You're playing different players from all over. So if you're fearless, nothing, no one stops that, right? Like I always tell my family, like, you know, I'll go through a brick wall to get to my goals and it's a brick wall. So I know what I'm facing here is concrete. I mean, obviously man versus brick, right? (laughs) So as far as like mankind versus brick. And I'm like, to know that that's the mentality that I have, you should have, you know, talking to my players, you should have the same mental mentality. You should be wanting to, you know, as soon as you get on the court. I'm pointing at whomever, you know, on the court. If I can give me the biggest person, because if I can guard her, you know, I'm good. Like, I feel like I'm I'm in my prime at this point because I'm able to defeat who everybody else felt like was the strongest player, which is why they didn't want to pick her, you know? Right. So I think that's just uh, the mental mindset, again, that you have to, you have to have to dominate. But You do. You actually do. And that's, you know, for me, it's, 
you have to have that warrior mindset. As soon as you step onto that court, you know, whether if it's you're on defense or offense, you have to switch your mind, especially when you're playing defense. It's, it's a different mindset. And you and you have to own your space. And there's a mindset to that. And it's, you know, I was talking a little bit about environment and how that can change an athlete as well. And, and you have to be prepared for the unexpected. And it's funny, just not too long ago, I was interviewing the uh, number one uh, varsity women's coach for the number one team in the country, um, Midi High School. Her name is Sue Phillips. And what she does for training athletes for the unexpected, she will do really unrealistic things within the practice to get them prepared to feel, just to get them in, in a position to be uncomfortable. So she'll, like, out of nowhere, throw a, a deflated basketball, and, and she'll tell them, like, got to play basketball. And they're like, well, it doesn't bounce. They're like, we'll make it happen. And so they, so then they start focusing on, okay, well, if I can't bounce it, what do I do with this? I pass it. So it makes them like, makes them like, uh, makes them think on the move, and 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 have a different mindset in the moment because there's going to be a lot of times where something's going to be unpredictable and you have to react to it. And probably having a deflated basketball is not realistic, but it's teaching those skills. Right. Teaching the mindset when shit goes bad. Can you can you recover? You know, so I, I thought it was pretty cool from a mindset standpoint. Yeah, actually, I like that. I might have to throw that in one of our practices. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think another good thing, too, is, um, you know, like just team bonding. I think that uh, for a lot of teams, the biggest issue is that the teams can't play together because they don't bond. And that's because uh, for semi-pro, you know. Uh, because everybody is from, you know, from all over. They're from different areas, different backgrounds, you know, um, different upbringings that they don't want to make friends, right, with everyone. They want to be secluded. And when you're talking about building a championship team, you no longer can be alone because your whole team has to, you know, play a part in the performance of winning, right? And our biggest issue was just getting guys to to, to bond and, uh, one thing that a great person had told me, they said, you know, uh, when people go through tribulations together, they tend to bond better. <laughs> so <laughs> we had a game in Florida and um, now I have family in Florida. I have plenty of friends in Florida. I mean, you name it. I'm, I would say I'm, I'm pretty um, subtle, you know, and we had our players. We said, Hey, you know, our flight, you know, talking about the executives, we were like, you know, our flight got delayed. So, we will come in, you know, a couple hours after you guys. So you guys are going to have to figure it out, you know, until we get there. And obviously I had people on standby just in case they went into like a frantic panic, but they all literally like work together. In fact, they like Ubered themselves to the beach, you know, they were out there like having a good time and communicating. Right. And by the time we got there, like, they're like all in a huddle. Like now they're friends, you know, they're calling each other, texting each other. And, you know, I guess the trials and tribulations thing actually worked in that instance. But, um, you know, I say team, team camaraderie and, and team building like that's just that's the biggest thing too mm. you know for semi-pro everybody wants it so everybody's trying to get in their own personal bag you know they're like you know what I'm, I need this you know I need this for my highlight tape so I'm not gonna pass it I'm going straight to the basket you know <laughs> and then the other team feels left out you know the, the rest of the team feels left out so they're like now you have bickering in your gym and in your locker rooms because people don't want to bond so I think that's another good thing about the mental uh, aspect of things that you got to open up your mind and say, okay, you don't have to be friendly, but you still got to be friends because in order for you to win, yep. you got to bond. You, you got to 
you know, you got to come together. Yeah, that's a great point. I think the sense of team, the sense of connectedness is huge. I don't care what level you are, what sport you're in. I think there there is the mindset of culture within the team because the quicker you can get buy-in, that everybody's bought into the core values, is bought into the goals. People, I mean, look look at the Warriors. I mean, they're they're a prime example of everybody buying into that culture, and um, so that's huge. And I think that's a great point bringing up culture and and team cohesiveness, if you will. I think it's really important to focus on that. Yeah, we um we created uh, the rules of our game, uh, which is pretty much like our core values, and we literally have them like do waltzes. And we'll have them recite this, you know, and mm. there's literally only about, there's seven of them, but they got to say them, you know, out loud, you know, we got to, so it's, it's be a pro athlete, be healthy, be a community leader, be on time. That's like number one. Uh, number two is be competitive always. Number three is buy into the system, which is what we just talked about. Four is two parts of decisions. And then it's avoid uh, communication with outsiders. We'll have guys where they're like, you know what, this is too much for me. I'm going to reach out to another team and see if they want to pick me up because I could be the starting point guard for their team <laughs> right. and I ain't got to do none of this, you know? <laughs> right. And then number five is get there. We always tell them, like, you know, you got to be on time. Like, you know, you can't be late for your flight, right? If you're trying to get out of here, you can't be late to go talk to the kids if the cameras are there. We can't be late and the media is there because they're going to talk about you badly. Um, six is pretty much just closure, just making sure that they, you know, they, they're staying, staying, professional but understanding like it's all on them you know what I mean like it's all on your work ethic if you don't want to put that much effort into your game you're gonna get what you get out of it you know exactly and then conclusion so and then seven is conclusions which is just get out of here (laughs) go overseas now closing up here I have one more question for you it's kind of a big question for you as as an owner when you think of your ultimate goal running these three these these three teams what is what is the ultimate goal for rj you know i had a conversation with my dad uh not too long ago and he said they were having the nba roundtable discussion i don't know if you remember that but i think it aired on like nba tv and uh it was like all the general managers and owners of nba teams were all sitting around you know they were just having conversation about you know the the new movement of the nba and the direction of their teams and the things that they've gone through and my dad, it was probably like 11 o'clock, I think was when they re-aired it. Uh, he called me, it was like maybe 11-ish. And he says, hey, he said, uh, are you watching the NBA owners um, seminar or whatever it's called? And I said, no. He said, you know, turn on your TV. So I went, you know, found a remote, turn on TV. And I'm like, okay, I'm watching it. He said, I actually see you sitting there. And I said, okay. So I watched it a little bit more. <laughs> I and said, it. hey, I, I actually see me sitting there too. He basically said, you know, and this was his very own words. He said, you know, I don't think you should stop trying because I honestly feel like you would make a great NBA team owner someday. And from that point, it just resonated. And I said, okay, you know what? This is time for me to to step up my game a little bit. You know, after that, at that point, we required um, one of the largest hospital systems out here. Um, we've been able to partner with Eventbrite. We have 10 Fortune 500 businesses that are a part of our organization and all sponsorship and in-time donation level. Uh, we've had a spike in analytics where now we're at 193 million and we're just consistently growing. Uh, our kids community consists of 6,700 kids. Uh, so it just lets me know that I'm headed in the right direction, but the overall goal right now is team president of a D-League team 
and potential one day NBA team owner. Beautiful. You know, there there is something to say when someone has the mindset of playing a bigger game. And I think anybody in my role, in your role, I don't care what role you are, man. If if we can keep that in front of us and feel it and see it and visualize it, play a bigger game, things happen. Things that's happened to me in the last couple of years with my role and my business, it's incredible because I've been playing a bigger game. So um, I applaud you and I support you to hit that goal. That'd be awesome to see you, whether if it's an NBA team or a WNBA team. I mean, that's it's awesome. So I, I can't wait to to see that happen and, re- and have that realized for you. So th- thank you so much for being on my show. It was really, really uh, awesome and fun and interesting to hear just the mindset of a semi-pro owner, but just understanding more about the semi-pro athlete as a whole. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, again, I appreciate you for having me.